them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in, accur- in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your promises are steadfast and true, that we can look back centuries and see your faithfulness. Thank you that this promise is true, that we are the recipients of it. I pray that you would help us to live in the good of it. I pray that you would, in a, in a real way, instruct our hearts. For those that are anxious this morning, I pray that you would bring peace. For those that are feeling just the, the weight of their sin and guilt, I pray that you would bring freedom and forgiveness. For those that are stirring and longing for your kingdom to come, I pray that you would send your spirit to just allow the fulfillment of this promise to see many people come to know and put their trust in you. Father, to do that, I need your help to proclaim it. You know how weak I feel to be able to explain a text like this. I just pray um, that you would visit us with your presence and that you would write this on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to give you a little bit of a road map where we're going to go as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, First thing we're going to do is just look at this promise that God makes to David. Um, It is a promise that um, already has been fulfilled and is continuing to be fulfilled in and through Jesus. And I want us to understand really the implications of that for us. Then we're going to kind of trace that promise We're going to go through about a thousand years of uh, really the people of God's history, the people of Israel. And and we're doing that not because we just want to understand history, but because this is our story, right? I mean, your story with Jesus didn't start when someone shared the gospel with you. It started way beforehand when God made promises that he was going to come into the world and that he was going to set up a king and a kingdom that would never end. And then we're going to close just by trying to practically apply this in some ways to our lives. So look at, this is the essence of the promise, look at verses 11, and it's the second half of um, verse 11, and we're going to read to verse 16. Moreover, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you 
who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Right? So eight times um, in chapter 7, there is just this reference to the idea of forever. So there's part of these promises that are going to be fulfilled in the life of David and in the life of Solomon. And then there are some other promises um, that continue on and forever. And the first promise is the promise of an offspring. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled, when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. Now, This was immediately fulfilled with Solomon, who took the throne after David. And then um, there is also this foreshadowing and this picture where there is another king that's going to be born in the city of David. He is a descendant of David, where he is going to be the king and usher in a kingdom that will last forever. And I want you to think about this, because this is a promise that God is making to David before he did anything good or bad. Is your end is not going to be the same end as Saul. Like I'm going to establish your name and your throne forever. And then the second promise would be that his son would build a house for God's name. And that's exactly what Solomon did. Um, It was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. Solomon built this temple. Really the reign of David and the reign of Solomon was the high point in the history of the people of God, right? This was the golden era. There were um, there, there's a, an example in Second Samuel where the queen of Sheba comes and she sees all that God has done to bless Solomon, which is a direct fulfillment of this promise. And she said, not even half of the things have been told to me about what's true, about what's going on inside of this kingdom. You're more wealthy, you're more powerful, you're more wise. How happy your people must be. So God continues to pour out his faithfulness. And then it's the, the promise of forever, that this promise will go on forever, that there is going to be a greater king and there is going to be a kingdom that will never end. This is what grace is all about. It's not about our performance. It's not about what God does in response to who we are. It's about his promises that are formed in our lives before we do anything good or bad. That's what 2 Samuel chapter 7 is all about. That grace continues despite all of our human unfaithfulness. And there's huge implications for this right here, right now, right? What we're going to see, and we trace through the story of the people of God, is that God has unbreakable, unshakable, eternal promises for his people, right? This is what we build our lives on, right? These are truths that are big enough to calm the deepest storm that goes on in your life, right? So on one level, this is supposed to bring certainty, 
when you are facing uncertainty. There's peace and there's calm because God keeps his promises. He's always faithful to his people. And as you trace the story of God throughout the Bible, you see that this God is the same God that you've placed your faith in and his promises never change and they never fail. So it's supposed to bring peace. But then simultaneously, it's also supposed to produce in us this desire to risk, right? Because his promises is that his kingdom will last forever, that his rule and his reign, and we'll get into this more, but it's a, it's a reign of righteousness and justice and peace that when we look out and we see the darkness of our own hearts and we see the darkness of our city, that we can be imminently hopeful because his promises never fail. So it's supposed to do both of those things, right? And so um, I'm just like a lot of people, like I'm super excited that football season is upon us. So can I get an amen? amen. Right? This is this two times this week I turned on the ESPN. The first time, um, like this wasn't like ESPN eight, the Ocho, like this was the main channel. They were playing video games. Like I'm not a, I'm not a hater on video games, but this should not be right? I mean, (laughs) that should not be on ESPN. And then, like, last night, it was my son's birthday, and we're going to see if there were any sports on, and they were playing dodgeball on ESPN2. I mean, that's insane. Like, we've got to come up with some better sports to take up the summer. Um, But I say all that because, like, the reason I think that most people get excited about football (laughs) in particular um, is not just because the sport is great. It's because People love to identify with a team. They love to identify with people that are laying it all on the line, people that take risks. That's what this passage is meant to produce in us, a group of people that say, listen, we have these great and very precious promises from God. We can take risks for him. You can never out-risk the promises of God. Now, the basis of this bringing peace and hope and an ability to risk is that it's based on his commitment to us and not our commitment to him. So now I just want to be able to um, transition a little bit and tell you the story of Israel. We're going to cover about a thousand years, and I want you to see how this interacts with our own story. The first thing that we're going to see is God's promises are greater than human failure and disobedience. Why this is important, why this is in the Bible, is because failure and sin cannot and will not stop the plan of God, right? It will not stop the plan of God for your own life. It will not stop the plan of God um, for this church. Human unfaithfulness will never undo God's faithfulness. And that's exactly what you see in the life of David. So we're 2 Samuel chapter 7, just ascends the throne. Turn over a couple of pages. 2 Samuel chapter 11, what happens? Right? He's up on a rooftop. He should be leading the army out to battle, and he sees Bathsheba, and he takes her, right? And he sleeps with her, and he makes her pregnant. And to cover it up, he ends up murdering Uriah the Hittite, right? That does not stop the plan and the purpose of God. His failure, right, which, which would seem to be a low moment, 
in the kingdom of God, that one that just received this promise from the very lips of God himself decides that he's going to take all that into his own hands. But that doesn't stop God. Listen, most of, and I wish this wasn't true, this is one of the most painful things about being human on this planet, that you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. That's why we love David, right? The, the truth is, for me personally, the deepest lessons I've ever learned about my own self, about my own weakness, about my own failure has come when I've come face to face with the fact that I don't have it all together. The fact that if God's restraining grace was not at work in my life, that I would ruin it all. But this passage is here this morning to give us hope that no matter what you have faced, what you have done, what you are tempted to do right now, that there is a king and a kingdom that will never fail. And it's greater than human sin and unfaithfulness. One of my favorite quotes comes from Richard Sibbs, and he basically was writing to a group of people. He was a Puritan. The Puritans started out as this wonderful movement of people that wanted so much to worship and love God, but very soon into their movement, they began to focus on and be afraid of sinning. And um, if, if that's your story, like being more afraid of sin than you are in love with Jesus will make you a narcissist. And that's exactly what happened to the Puritans. So they were, you know, God would say a command here and they would make a rule over here. That still plagues the church today. And Richard Sibbs would come in and he would say, I, I want you to know that there's more grace in him then there is sin in you, right? That's the scripture. I mean, that's the quote that I build my life upon. God's story and his faithfulness continues despite human unfaithfulness. David's story doesn't end with his own rebellion and his own failure because God loves to save sinful, rebellious people that love to go out on his own. So he, so much so that he sent his only son into the world to die for the deepest, darkest places of your soul. And that's not, that's not just to cover them up or to wipe them out, but it's to redeem them. Something that you think is a profound weakness, God promises to make into a strength, right? Things that, were, that you have done and things that were done to you, God is building up and he's making something beautiful. It says in the book of Isaiah that he takes ashes and he makes them into beauty. That's what he did for David, that's what he's done for me, and that's what he's done for every person that places their faith in who this scripture points to, Jesus Christ. So that's the the life of David. Solomon, his son, right? I mean, this is one generation later. Um, Like, I I don't even think this is smart on a street level, but he had 300 wives, 700 concubines, not celebrating that at all. But I mean, not only just the the horrendous mess that that would create in a household, many of these wives were from other countries, they had other cultures, they had other gods, and instead of, which would have been wise, to try to bring them to worship the one true God, he allowed them all to make separate temples for their gods, and it ended up pulling his heart away and ended up being a snare for the people of God for centuries. But here's the deal. The promises of God still keep coming. 
They still keep going despite all of that brokenness and all of that failure, right? Solomon's son, right? You can read about this in the book of 1 Kings, Rehoboam. Like, he was basically a, a spoiled rich kid, you know? He grew up. Solomon was supposedly the wisest man that ever lived. He grew up in his shadow, and he decided that he was going to try to make his name greater than that of his father. So he was harsh with the people of God, so much so that the 10 of the 12 tribes, which ends up becoming the northern kingdom, rebel against his rulership, right? So that splits the kingdom. There's 10 kingdoms in the northern kingdom, and there's two that remain loyal to the throne of David, the, the, the tribes of Judah. All of that is to say that the faithfulness of God just continues, right? Despite all of that rebellion. So we're talking two generations. The kingdom and the nation is split in half. Yet the promises of God keep going and they keep continuing. As the story of the people of God continues... People don't want to listen to the word of God anymore. So they decide that they're going to raise up prophets that tell them what they want to hear. You know, that's what it means to have itching ears. People that, I'm not going to tell you what God says, but I'm going to tell you what you want to hear, right? Because that's easier sometimes. The, The prophets are corrupted. By the end of the Old Testament, right? The book of Malachi or Malachi, if you're new to the Bible. It doesn't matter, right? Right? I mean... Who knows how to say all that stuff, right? Um, Worship is supposed to be this beautiful thing where you bring your your, your sacrifices, your worship, um, and and instead of bringing the, the sacrifices that God requires, people are bringing blind, lame, crippled sheep to the altar. It's basically they're just going through the motions Right? You can make some parallels to what's going on um, in our country today. I mean, it's just, hey, this is just something we're doing to check off the box. All of that being said, the promises of God continue. There is a kingdom and a king that is coming, and the promises of God do not fail. That's what's true for the kingdom of Israel. That's what's true for David. That's what's true for Solomon. That's what's true for us today, right? So now, I want to show you a map. I also want to show you that God's promises is also greater than all opposition. So this was before the days of Twitter and Facebook, right? When you were in church and your mind drifted, all you could do was look to the back of the thing and it had maps, right? So some of you laugh because you've been there, right? And you wonder, why are those maps in the Bible? That's what I thought. But what you're going to see throughout the history of the people of God is this idea that God takes this little tiny piece of land in Palestine and he never gives up on them and he sustains them in the midst of all difficulties. You know why this, I mean, God chose the people of Israel because they're small and they're weak, but also because it is, um, essentially, it is the only land bridge between Asia and Africa. So every world power that would want to conquer and expand their kingdom, they would have to march their troops right through the people of God, right? And that's exactly what you see happening. So if you've ever wondered what the second half of the Old Testament is about, right? So in 722, Assyria marches through and takes control of the northern kingdom. 
Then, while Assyria is kind of dominating the world stage, just on top of that, then um, the kingdom of Babylon comes in, and they conquer, and they take off the, the two southern tribes, right? And the people of God go into exile all throughout the history of the Old Testament. You heard the name Alexander the Great, right? They come through, they conquer, right? The Roman Empire by the time of Jesus. All of this are pictures of God promising and fulfilling his promise to sustain his people. And in the midst of this, now I want you to try to understand a little bit of the significance. I'm just going to read some scripture to you. This is, this is how the people of God, people that were conquered, people that were in exile, people that had armies marching through their living room, this is how they built their hope. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Notice the reference to David. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his, king, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, right? That's not just something that we read at Christmas time, right? It's God fulfilling his promise that despite all of the opposition that exists in the world, that God is still working his plan, right? Despite, right, what, whoever is in the White House, God is still working his throne, right? He's still establishing his kingdom. Despite what's going on around the world, right? There is a God that is still working his plan. And listen, the world is a stage for God's glory. It is not a hindrance to him, right? So that should give us hope as we think about what's going on, right? When the the mission team is in Haiti, Right? That became part of God's plan. We didn't know that, but God continued to work and to move. Right? The, the history of this city that's built essentially on churches dividing and factions, it's not antithetical to the story of God, but it's part of his plan to want to redeem our city, to see all of the people come together and worship God. Right? The story and the stage is part of God's plan. That's the same for your family dynamics, the family that you came from, right? I mean, even though most of our stories have some really painful parts in it, God is going to use those things to continue to build his plan, right? Listen to this scripture from Isaiah 55. This is, this is how we know that we can be satisfied. This also references to David. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. God is inviting us to experience life. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Right? This promise is all over the Bible. God's promise to satisfy us. Every time that you lift up your hands in worship 
and you incline your ear to his testimonies, you're fulfilling this scripture that's in the Bible, right? It is unstoppable. Our promise of a Savior that will return is rooted in this promise to David. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. This is the end of the story. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so what is the response of the people of God? The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. All of this whole story is bound up in the fact that God makes promises and he is absolutely committed to fulfill his promises in and through Jesus. God made promises to David. He fulfilled them in Jesus and he will fulfill them to us forever. So as the people of God, we can take a deep breath. We can relax because God is God, right? We can, with all encouragement and joy and zeal, just like Trenton mentioned, we can just be prepared for God to rock our city because He is faithful. Not because we are, but because He is. I say all of that. A thousand years of history because I want you to marvel at the lengths that God has gone to save you. Right? Kingdoms come and kingdoms fall. But listen, the word of the Lord stands forever. He has you. Right? Some people trust in chariots. Some people trust in horses. But we trust in the name of our God. Right? So you can build your life on this promise. So a couple of words of just application for us. How do we live in the good of a promise like this? Well, first, I think we receive this kingdom and we follow this king. Right? This is a kingdom of love. This is a kingdom of joy. This is a kingdom of forgiveness. This is a kingdom of peace. We get to receive this kingdom. This is not primarily a kingdom of rules and laws. This is, this is the God of the universe that's come into the world to do everything to, that wants to separate you from being eternally happy. Right? He actually wants us to enjoy life. So we receive just the, the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of this God. Now, <laughs> a couple of months ago, my friend Martin was up here and he sang a song for you all. And I've talked to my kids and they told me never to do that. But I'm going to share <laughs> some lyrics from a song from when I was a new believer. And it, it's by Stuart Townsend. And it's called, He is the King of Love. So it starts out like this. This gets at the nature of the kingdom. The King of Love is my delight. His eyes are fire and his face is light. The first and last living one, his name is Jesus. And from his mouth there comes a sound that shakes the earth and splits the ground. Yet his voice is life to me the voice of Jesus. And I will sing my songs of love, calling out across the earth, the king has come. The king of love has come. And this is the implication. And troubled minds can know his peace 
and captive hearts can be released. The king has come. The king of love has come. You can receive that love. Troubled minds can know his peace. This is an experiential kingdom. It's not theoretical. right? We sang it this morning. He is the king of my heart. So he wants to take away our anxiety. And he actually invites us to bring our anxieties and cast them on him. First Peter chapter 5. Why? Because he cares. right? He cares for you. He rules. right? Captive hearts can be released if you are struggling, if you are bound up. He came to bring freedom. So we receive this king and this kingdom. Right? And what a privilege as the people of God to be able to be recipients of that kingdom, to live in the good of it. And then, I want to close with this, we get to model it for the world. Finally, we represent our king as ambassadors to the world. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So in light of that, we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That's the implication for us. So we receive this kingdom. We live in the good of it. But now we are his ambassadors. We are not primarily citizens of the United States. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that has massive implications for our allegiance. Our allegiance is not to a political party. Our allegiance is not to um, some economic system of consumerism and materialism. We have one foot in this culture and we have another foot in the kingdom of God. It's already and it's not yet. But we have the values of generosity that overcomes materialism. We have just this good news that the power of God can actually overcome violence, not by war, but by nonviolence, right? This is the gospel that we have received. When we, as a group of people, commit ourselves to living in the way of Jesus... Right? It makes a loud statement about our allegiances. And so we want our money and our time and our resources just to reflect the truth of that kingdom. I mean, I was reading just on my own yesterday, Ephesians 2.10. I think someone referred to it in the prayer meeting this morning. That we are his workmanship that's created in Christ Jesus. That means we are his masterpiece. That's not just us individually, but us as a church. And that we're created in Christ Jesus. And then God just underlined this word for me. For good works. Right? We're not saved to be a part of a church service. Which is awesome and necessary and vital to the plan and the purposes of God. We are saved for good works. And to model the truth of 
this kingdom. So just gonna this morning we're gonna close by worshiping. We're gonna try to just marvel at the truth of this promise, and we also want to just ask God to send His power and His Spirit that we could live as ambassadors. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that His steadfast love is better than life. I do pray that the weight of who you are would come to rest on us. I pray that you would cause the truth of all of your words and all of your promises to be explosively alive in our hearts right now, that we would sing in a way that honors you, that we would sing in a way that changes us, that we would sing in a way that would invite other people to experience this hope I pray that you would just remind us as we sing of our own story, your own faithfulness to us, and then also that you would give us faith for what you are leading us to, both individually and as a church, that you would um, mark and burn those things into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.